five, uh, it's a time marked by gathering. People gather, families gather, regardless of what you believe. During this season, there's family gathering. There's, it's all about generosity. It's all about gift giving. Gift giving, it's about concern for the poor, concern for the needy. It's about peace. It's about unity. Man, and when we look at these things, these sentiments of Christmas, like, man, what, what do these things mean? I mean, this gift giving, like, why do we do this? I mean, the gifts, you know, the gifts are a symbol of Jesus and his self-giving and his sacrificial death, in his sacrificial death. The concern for the needy, the concern for the needy. Well, what's that all about? Jesus was born into poverty. Jesus was born into poverty, the creator of everything. The Lord of the universe identified with the least of people. He identified with the least and the most excluded people in the human race. That's God. The Lord of the universe did that. Man, and really the most noticeable Christmas tradition, I would say, are these things here. These, uh, these what, they're, they're, they're Christmas lights, right? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. That's the most noticeable part of Christmas, I would say, is that tradition. And man, uh, uh, our family, actually my oldest daughter, there's a picture. Um, she, we have like our favorite house. That's our favorite house in the community there on the screen. It's just just glaring with lights. And when we go for a walk, we see that house and she had to get a picture taken with the house. But we have a favorite house for its lights, right? And, and studies show, I looked this up. I was bored. I'm preparing a sermon. I'm bored. I just randomly Google stuff, right? Studies show that the nationwide electricity usage and bills, bills increase 50% in the month of December because of Christmas lights. 50% nationwide during the month of December. I also Googled another thing, NASA. NASA tells us that during the month of December, the world literally lights up. It literally lights up from Christmas lights. It literally lights up and you, it can be seen from space. That's amazing. That's amazing. What is it with these lights? <laughs> what is it with these lights? The world almost revolves around this time of year. And at the center of it all is this birth. It's just this stinky, dark birth in a manger, in a trough, just this, this messy birth. And that's the epicenter of this holiday. That's why all these things exist. And the lights, the lights are a symbol of Jesus and the light that he brings to a dark world to a dark world. The lights literally light up the world. And, and that's what that means. That's why we do it, in case you've forgotten. That's why it happens. That's why we have been doing it for, for decades. I think probably as long as electricity has existed. Man, we're going to get into uh, the book of Isaiah today. Isaiah, Isaiah is, was a Jewish prophet uh, from the 8th century BC, and he spoke on behalf of God about 800 years 800 years before Jesus, Isaiah spoke these words, and he prophesied uh, during the steep decline of Israel. He prophesied during the steep decline of Israel, called, he was calling them to change their ways and return to the Lord. He was calling them to change their ways and return to the Lord. Or if they didn't, they would be comprehensively defeated and taken captive by the Babylonians. And they didn't listen. They didn't listen, and it happened. It happened. 
God's word came true as it always does. And it happens, sadly. But when he prophesied, when he prophesied, not only uh, did he call them back to the Lord, but he also prophesied of a great future, of a great future for Israel. And not just Israel, but for the world. He prophesied of a great future. And that's where we are today. That's where we are today. The future to them and the present to us in the book of Isaiah. So let's open up the scriptures starting at the end of chapter 8. And it's there on the screen. This is basically the Christmas story and all of its realism. And all of its realism. Because I think, I think Christmas, it, 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 there's a romanticism behind Christmas, but when we think about Christmas, when we actually look into the scriptures and see what happened, it was actually a very dangerous, dark time when Jesus was born. When Jesus was born, it was a dangerous and dark time. And, and, and it, it, it didn't have the romanticism that it has today. So we need to look really how serious Christmas is. And we're going to see this through this prophecy uh, in Isaiah. I know, I know they say it's the most wonderful time of the year. It is. It is the most wonderful time of the year because of Jesus' birth. But back then when Jesus was born, it was the most dangerous time of the year. Because what we know is, man, when Jesus was born, King Herod... He didn't like it. King Herod was on a power trip. He knew about this, peop- this, this baby that people were calling the Messiah, and it threatened his control. It threatened his power. And King Herod, he commissioned the, 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 the slaughter of, 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 of uh, every, two year, uh, under, if, every boy under two years old, I think it was, to be killed. This night of Jesus' birth, was actually a dark and dangerous night. So we have to keep that in mind. But let's go back to Isaiah when he actually prophesies about the coming of Jesus. In the scripture, it says this. It was dark back then. Verse 21, it starts in chapter 8. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Isaiah is prophesying this of a future for Israel and of the world. Guys, in Isaiah 8, at this time, in Isaiah 8, the world was a dark place. It was a dark place. It was filled with evil. It was filled with untold suffering. The world was filled with violence injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees fleeing oppression, families ripped apart, bottomless grief. And I'm not exaggerating. This was happening this at that time, at the time of Isaiah. In Isaiah 8, just before verse 21, the people were consulting magicians and mediums instead of God. And when the scripture says they were looking toward the earth, What that means, they were looking toward the earth. They were looking to human resources to fix their problems, their personal darkness, and to fix the darkness of the world. They were looking towards the earth. How can we do this? How can we fix this? Does this sound familiar? Violence then, oppression, refugees, fleeing oppression, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness. Guys, it still happens. The world still consists of these things. The world is a dark place. 
The world is a dark place. It has not changed. The honest truth is that the world is no less a dark place. Of all the human advancement you think about over the last couple thousand years, there's been a ton, especially the past hundred years. Man, it's still a dark place. It's still a dark place and nothing has changed. Nobody knows how to cure evil. Nobody knows how to cure suffering. But we instinctively, the default mode of our heart is to look to the earth. We look to the earth. We look to ourselves for the solutions. Do we not? We see that every day. Guys, some look to the state. Some look to the government, the state and the government. We look to politics. Man, if we just get this right, if we get the right president in and we have just the right like policies, everything will be perfect. Everything will be great if we get this right. We look to the state or to government. Some of us, we look to the market. We look to the market and we look to wealth. We feel like we can, we can buy our way to peace and to unity. We feel like we can buy our way. So we look to the market. Everybody, we go to technology. Technological advancements, man, the past hundred years. It's been amazing. I enjoy a lot of this technological advancement. It does great things for our lives, but it does not cure and solve and give us solutions for the problem of evil and suffering and the darkness in the world and in our lives. Guys, we can overcome poverty and injustice and violence and evil. We think that way. We think we can do this if we work together. We hear this every day in some form. If we just work together, we can create unity and peace. You know, also when I was Googling, <laughs> I saw, I saw this. For, for, for a season that is all about peace and unity, right? We could say Christmas is all about peace and unity, and I was just shocked. Studies show that crime skyrockets at this time. Crime skyrockets. Personal larceny, abuse, burglary, violence skyrockets during the Christmas season. That's amazing. <laughs> for a time of peace and unity, Crime skyrockets at this time. Guys, this darkness, this dark world, it comes from our own personal sin and darkness. It comes from our hearts. It's not just some, some thing, uh, this, this force swirling in the air, making all of this happen. Guys, it's in our hearts. This is all happening because of us, because of people, because of the darkness of our hearts. We have to understand that, you know, we fear so many things in our lives. You know, we fear rejection, right? We fear rejection, so we become obsessed approval seekers. Do we not? When we fear rejection, we become obsessed approval seekers. So we do things that we should not do to gain approval from man. Or we fear humiliation. We fear humiliation, so we become power seekers, we become power seekers. That's what King Herod did. Jesus was born. He felt threatened he, that he was going to be humiliated and taken out of power. So he was obsessed about his power and he did a terrible, terrible thing. He did a terrible thing. Guys, we fear suffering. We fear suffering. So we become comfort seekers. Do we not? We become comfort seekers because we fear suffering and it makes us do things that we should not do so we can obtain this, 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 this state of comfort in our lives. Or we fear uncertainty. Man, there's so much uncertainty. We have such far, far less control than we think we do. 
man, and there's so much uncertainty about our lives or, or what's next or what's going to happen with this and that or our kids, or school, money, everything. We fear uncertainty and so we become control seekers. We become control seekers. Guys, it's this kind of just, uh, th- this kind of uh, DNA, this mix in our hearts that causes the suffering and the evil of the world. It, it's, it's, it's fear in our hearts. Guys, this fear destroys us and it brings darkness into our lives and take anything away from you. But it can't take away God. It can't take away God. Tim Keller, he says this. He says this, Christmas is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. Biblical Christmas, the true Christmas. It's the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It does not say, cheer up. If we all pull together, we can can make the world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, he says. Only resistance. But it supports no illusions that we can defeat ourselves, that we can defeat them ourselves. Christianity does not agree with optimist thinkers who say we can fix things if we try hard enough. But nor does it agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. Guys, the message of Christianity is instead, things really are this bad. Things really are this bad. And we can't heal or save ourselves. We can't do it. Things really are this dark, but nevertheless, there is hope. There is hope. That's the message of Christianity, hope. And nowhere can we get hope but the gospel from Christianity, from Jesus. He continues, Isaiah continues uh, in chapter 9, verse 2, in the beginning there. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah, Isaiah starts giving us this hope. He starts showing us and revealing this hope. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. I'm a big Marvel fan. I love the Marvel movies. And one of my favorites is Thor. He's probably my favorite character. Nobody can pick up Thor's hammer. Mjolnir. Did I say it right? Nobody can pick up Thor's hammer. Are you guys familiar with Thor? Nobody can pick up his hammer. They try everything. Everybody tries to pick it up. Although the superheroes try to pick up the hammer, they can't do it. They can't do it. The superheroes try to pick them up. Normal people try to pick up the hammer. They even start to get into some human ingenuity and they tie up a chain from a truck and they tie it up and they they take the truck to try to move the hammer and it just destroys the truck. Mjolnir, the hammer, will not move. Guys, it will not move. Nobody's moral efforts No human ingenuity can move the needle. No human ingenuity or our moral efforts can open or close the gates of heaven. Think about that. Guys, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about the Lord of the universe. We cannot manipulate those gates to open or close in our own strength. We cannot do it. We can't do it. So here in this text, Isaiah, he speaks of a great battle He speaks of a great battle, and he prophesies that the victory over evil, it won't require our strength. 
It will not require our strength. We won't need a warrior's boot. We won't need a warrior's boot. We won't need armor. We won't need a sword. Isaiah is saying, burn them up. Burn them up. Somebody else will do the fighting for you. You don't have to do anything. Somebody else will do the fighting for you. He's coming. He's coming. Guys, the battle is not what you might think. The battle has confounded people for over 2,000 years. Man, I can't do anything to do this because that's not how our culture trains us. The default mode of our heart is to perform and to earn favor, to earn approval and to perform and to do good work. Man, if I do these things, everything will be right. And we apply that to God. Man, if I just do good, if, if I just do right, and if I do the right things and say the right things, and I'm just a good person, man, and, and I just do good things, I'll be right with God. And we cannot do that. It's a stumbling block for many. It's a stumbling block for many. Guys, nobody can pick up Thor's hammer. Nobody can do it. But his father Odin said, his father Odin said, only one who is worthy can. Only one who is worthy can. And Isaiah continues. In verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born. A child. For to us a child is born. To us a, sin, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. Guys, when Jesus was born, it wasn't to give us a cozy holiday. It wasn't to give us a cozy holiday, a romantic holiday. That's not why he was born. Man, we will never find our way or see reality unless Jesus is our light. He didn't come to give us a cozy holiday. It was to save us. It was to save us from our sin. It was to save us from darkness. Guys, the world is a dark place. Because this is the light. On the cross, Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the light. Jesus died. He did all the work. He did In his strength, he died for the forgiveness of our sins and he was buried and he was resurrected in power. And when we trust in Jesus and his work on our behalf, we die to our sin. We die to our sin. It no longer has power over us. And our old self is buried. Our old self is buried and a new self is resurrected. A new self is resurrected. We are resurrected into new life. Guys, the gospel the gospel of Jesus, it, it dismantles the fears that I mentioned earlier. It dismantles humiliation. It dismantles rejection. It dismantles these things. It dismantles suffering. It's power over us. It dismantles uncertainty. It dismantles these things because God shows us on the cross that he has our best interests in us, for us. That's what the cross is saying. He's saying, I love you. I'm doing this for you because I love you and I have your best interests for you. I'm providing for your greatest need of salvation here on the cross. So if you can trust me with that, you can trust me with all of the little things in your lives that you fear. You can trust me with those things. 
Guys, the light of Jesus, it becomes inside of us. The light of Jesus goes inside of us. God forgives us and he implants in us the Holy Spirit. Man, this is Christmas. He implants in us the Holy Spirit and he renews us from the inside out. From the inside out. Isaiah says, Jesus, he will become, not he might, he will become mighty God to us. Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Mighty God. Guys, this, this, this basically means that we can't just like him. We can't just like Jesus. When you look back at the scriptures, people who saw or heard him, then they were either scared out of their wits. They were either scared by hearing what he was saying and what he was doing. They were either scared. They were either furious with him. They were either furious with him or they bowed down and worshiped him. Nobody could just like him. Nobody could just like him. Nobody simply liked him and thought like he was so inspiring. It just makes me, it, it inspires me to, to live a better life. Nobody reacted that way. Nobody reacted that way and we shouldn't either. Guys, if the baby born is the mighty God, man, we must serve him completely. We must serve him completely. Wherever it is God calls us in our context, whether it's our job or our family or our marriage, or maybe in ministry, man, we're called to serve him completely because he is mighty God. But not, not out of obligation. We should do it because we want to. We should do it because he's an everlasting father. He's an everlasting father. Think about this. There's not a lot of things that you would do for an absent father. There isn't. There's not a lot of things that you would do for an absent father that wasn't there for you, that abandoned you. There's not a lot of things that you would do, if any, but for a present father, you would do almost anything for a present father. My dad has been present for our family. <laughs> he laughs. I would do almost anything for him. <laughs> I would do pretty much anything for my father. And it's not out of obligation. It's because I want to. God is an everlasting father. And we should want to serve him wholeheartedly because he is that. Jesus is an everlasting father because his word can be trusted completely. His counsel will never fail. It will never fail. And that's why he's called the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor. When we're going through difficulty, it, right? it's good to talk to somebody. Right? It's good to talk to someone who has walked the same path, who knows it personally, Man, I'm going through something. I just want to talk to somebody that has been through this before, right? That's a great counselor. That's great counsel. And we should get that. We should have that from people. We should have those things. Guys, if God was born in a dark, danky, cold manger on a dangerous, dangerous night, guys, this, then this is something no other religion even claims to be. No other religion even claims to have this. It is this. It's a God who truly understands you. It's a God who truly understands you from the inside of your experience. There is no other religion in the world that says God has suffered. That God has suffered. That he had to be courageous. That he had to be courageous. That he faced fear. That he faced temptation. 
He knows what it's like to be abandoned and attacked by friends. He knows what this is like. This is why he's a wonderful counselor. He knows what it's like to be abandoned and attacked by friends. He knows what it's like to be oppressed by the elite. He knows what injustice feels like. He knows what it's like to be crushed by injustice. He knows what it's like to face death. He knows what it's like to have death on the horizon coming for us. He knows what that is like. He understands from the inside of your experience. God became one of us. He became one of us in order to know our darkness. To know our darkness. He can teach you. He can counsel you. And because of this, he's the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Man, you can only buy peace or joy. You can only buy it for so long. Man, the, the money and the wealth are, man, you can only buy peace and joy for so long, but eventually we come full circle to the reality of our brokenness. Man, I came full circle back in 2008. Sometimes it takes longer for people. Sometimes it takes to the very end. When it all comes first, when it all comes first circle, it takes people a different length of time to do that. Guys, you can order your life all you want. You can order it all you, wife, you want and put the pieces here and here. And I mean, if I just do this and everything is just right and set and perfect and organized and it's all there, everything is going to be great. But the rooster is going to crow eventually. It's going to crow eventually. And we're going to have to make a decision Guys, when all the other lights go out, all those other lights that we create, money, wealth, whatever, the politics, state, government, technology, all these other lights, when they all finally go out, Jesus' light stays on. It's Jesus' light that stays on. He's the light that will never go out. Jesus said in, in, in the Gospel of John, John heard this from Jesus and he wrote it down for us in chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Think about that for a second. It's a promise. You follow me, you will never walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Think about that. Guys, that God will become a person has confounded people for thousands of years. It does not make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Even as Christians, it's why we believe. Sometimes it still doesn't make sense. I'm reading scripture and I'm praying and I'm, God, man, this is crazy. This is crazy. This, this, part of this just doesn't make sense. But God's ways are higher than our ways and they're better than our ways. And it always comes back to faith. It always comes back to faith because that's all he says. Whoever follows me, whoever believes in me, it always comes back to belief. Guys, we spend our life working and performing and earning the approval of man, and we do the same thing for God. The gospel is a free gift. It is a free gift, and it can be yours. It can be yours only, only if you're willing to receive it as a free gift. No strings attached. 
Only if you're willing to receive it as a free gift. Man, many people don't like being given gifts. Anybody in here just like don't like being given gifts? Sometimes being given gifts, man, it causes us to swallow our pride, right? Maybe like for Christmas, you get like a dieting book as a gift. And it's like, what are you trying to say? You call me fat or something? Man, sometimes you have to swallow your pride when you're given a gift, right? Or maybe it's like a fitness book, right? Man, what are you trying to say? Like, I need to work out? I need to lose 10 pounds? What are you trying to say? And those aren't bad things. Sometimes being given a gift causes us to swallow our pride. I mean, I just want to challenge you guys. If, if you're a man or, or a woman of faith, I invite you and I challenge you to look deeply into your life during this season. Man, tonight, tomorrow, Christmas Day, is there a dark spot? Is, is there a dark spot that you haven't allowed Jesus to shine on in your life? Is there a dark spot in your life? Maybe it's in your job, a relationship at work, or something in your marriage, or your, your family, your kids, something. Man, we are not perfect. When we become a Christian, we just don't all of a sudden become perfect. Man, we have this faith inside of us, and God, he is changing us progressively as, as we grow. But man, we still struggle with sin, and we struggle with, with getting control back from God in our lives. Man, and there's still these dark spots in our lives. I challenge you, man, if you're a believing man or woman, to, to look deeply into your life and, and shine Jesus' light on him. Let him do that. Surrender to him. And man, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, if you haven't done this, man, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? Maybe you think you believe, but you're not receiving it as a free gift. If you're not receiving it as a free gift and you're still doing something, working something, somehow performing, man, no, I get it. Like the gospel, it's cool. I believe that he died on the cross, but I also believe Jesus plus my good works, plus my performance can save me and can change my life. Man, if we believe that, that's not what we see at all in scripture. That is not the gospel. Man, Jesus didn't die on a cross. He didn't suffer on a cross to share, to share glory with you. Man, he died on a cross so he could have glory in your life. And man, when that happens, he gives you glory in your life. So I wanna challenge you guys to think deeply. Let's pray.